Welcome to The Long Take, a film podcast with one eye always on the Oscar race. I'm your host, Jen Subjokta-Bankard, and I'm here with a friend who is fully committed to the theatrical experience, P.T. McNiff. Hey, P.T., how's it going? Like it or not, uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer is the most important person who's ever lived. Uh, yeah, I'm doing well. I'm excited to talk about about movies uh, and and the the chatter around them coming out of Las Vegas, the most movie centric place in the world. Yeah, I feel that's sounds strange when you say it that way. Uh, you were you were of course for those listening, uh, quoting Christopher Nolan talking about his his upcoming movie Oppenheimer. Um, so yeah, we're here to talk about CinemaCon, uh, which I don't expect most of our listeners to really be aware of it's it's a trade show that's basically run by the, the movie theater and industry so it's not just the movie industry it's the movie theater industry specifically so it's actually run by an organization called nato very strange i guess they didn't realize that was taken already um, <laughs> it's the national association of theater owners and the best way i can explain this to someone who doesn't religiously follow movie news like like we do is that it's sort of like if you've seen those big Apple keynote presentations where they're like, hey, get excited for all the, the new iPhone and the new stuff that's coming out. It's basically like that, but for movies. But the key thing is the audience, primary audience, is people who run theaters or studios who are making movie movies to put into theaters. And so there's a lot of like everyone congratulating each other on how much money they're going to make. <laughs> so there's a lot of hype that comes out of it. And so we're going to here be here to kind of assess how realistic some of that hype is and just our own reactions to it. We're going to skip our normal movie news segment because this is our topic for today is essentially movie news. Does that, does that sound good PT? It, it, it sounds good to me. I'm just going to add the reason I sort of think that this thing exists is a, it's like a holdover from back in the day when it would be like many people ran movie theaters instead of like mostly like four or five big chains do like i'm assuming run like 90 plus 95 plus percent of the movie theaters in the country so it seems a little weird that they have like let's all get together and talk about how great we are and how like excited we are about showing movies but they still do it and yeah it's like the trade show of um, movie distribution or movie movie theater the movie theater experience. So uh, it gives us a chance to learn about movies. It's like investor calls for the major studios where we get to just sort of hear information gets leaked out to the public. Yeah. And that's the big difference I think is that it's, it's just, it's not pitched to the general public. We are going to talk about a couple of films that had trailers that right after the presentation at CinemaCon hit the internet. But for the most part, it's like us sort of listening to journalists who were there listening to all these business people talk about these movies and get hyped up for these movies. And so it's a lot of sort of telephone of secondhand information. Um, so we're here to kind of parse through all of it and sort of assess, especially if it's an, a film that we talked about in our last episode, sort of in our year in preview, kind of the movies we were most anticipating for the year We're we're going to assess if the hype is higher, lower or the same uh, after the, the news or the word coming out of, of CinemaCon. So I think out of all the news articles I've listened to and a couple of podcasts, I actually even found a box. It's it's called the Box Office Podcast. And it's definitely pitched at people who are investing in, in the film industry or like the who are on the business side. Um, because it, it uh they had a whole interview with a 
company that was advertising VIP parking for movie theaters. And like, that's their new oh. thing where they're like, they're trying, they're basically at CinemaCon or they were at CinemaCon trying to, cause it's over now. They were trying to sell this to movie theaters to be like, don't you want to have this? Uh, they use the phrase additional revenue stream from people <laughs> oh, trying to like in a hurry, trying to get like, the, aren't people tired of circling the parking lot at your movie theater? Like, don't you want to offer this thing so they can pay you extra money to get good parking? So yeah, so it's a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, but, <I'll> pass. <laughs> um, yeah. So so that yeah so that was really interesting. That was that was a a level of research of CinemaCon or following of CinemaCon that beyond what I've ever done before. So so you're welcome, listeners. I don't know really how much how much value that's going to add, but I've done the I've done the work. I've done the homework. Um, but anyway, so what I was saying is that that the there seemed to be a really, really big narrative that cut across all of the news articles, all of the stuff I listened to, and that it's this idea, this like rejoicing of movie theaters are back. Um, and that even mm-hmm. the streaming services are now, quote unquote, committing to the theatrical experience, uh, that they they want to have their big movies go into the theaters first before they even go onto their own streaming services. What are, what are your thoughts on this PT? Like, have you, how do you feel about this? Do you think this is actually marking at sort of turning point in the industry? I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense that this is what the people at the national association of uh, cinema owners, uh, which somehow becomes NATO, but I guess it was it was theatrical. I don't know, um, but that th- this organization is you know that's what they're committed to. That's what they are. That's what they want. And so, of course, that's the that's the message uh, is, is is that we're we're all back. But I mean, Top Gun Maverick, Avatar two, uh, Super Mario Brothers. Like there are a lot of movies that have been very successful at the box office. It also seems like after you know the sort of pandemic. Uh, time of like the studios uh, feeling like, oh, well, great. We can just put whatever we're, we're releasing right onto streaming. We can cut out the middleman of these distributors. It didn't make them a lot of money. And that's, you know, that's part of, you know, the um, being a nerd who cares about, you know, Star Wars and Marvel and stuff like that. It's like the Disney stories about that, but that's part of the Bob Iger returning, replacing Bob Chapek is just like Disney plus does not make us money in the way that Avengers Endgame did in a movie theater. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think that there is some degree of it being hype for the event. I also think there's some degree that it is true that this is what's happening. There is going to be a recommittal to this as a way to generate excitement and profit. There is just sort of a feeling that if a movie is out in the theater, even if it's only for like three weeks, it's better than if it only shows up on your TV. Like I think a lot of viewers feel that way. Maybe I'm uh, extrapolating out from uh, making a hasty generalization from uh, my own experience, but I think there is something to that. And I, I love seeing movies in the theater. So this is great. I think this is a good thing if it's, if it's true. And I also, especially like there was sort of undercurrent to this um, and this is partly like Marty Scorsese was drum- banging the drum of it's got to be small movies too. It can't just be, mm. you know, a multiplex of sixteen screens showing, you know, two blockbusters eight eight times a piece. But like set aside two, three, four of your screens for something small that's going to inspire people to care more about movies and want to go to see more movies. Yeah, I can see. I can see that, and I also just want to 
pay compliments to you for setting a good example for our students and you're, you're accounting for the source, the type of source that we're dealing with and <laughs> the potential bias in their, their interest as a stakeholder in the issue. So I want to, you know, prop, props for that. And they need to recognize the rhetorical situation. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you. I think, I mean, I think there's an over eagerness to be like, we're back. We did it. Everything's back to normal. It's, it's for me, it's just hard because I feel like I spent the past three years listening to podcasts where people were really hand wringing over our movie theaters dead. Can we ever come back from this? Right. Like, is it? And there were so many, I guess, disputes between I'm just remembering. I think it's AMC and Universal, I want to say, had this huge fight during the pandemic. Basically, Universal was like, we're pulling all of our movies from AMC theaters. Because AMC was like, no, we insist on this particular length of time for a theatrical window. Um, Mm. And for those listening, if we when we say theatrical window, we mean like the amount of time something's in a theater without it being available anywhere else. It's like exclusively you have to go to a theater to see it. Um, So, so yeah, that part of me is kind of really skeptical because of because we just like it. Maybe it's too soon to be making this declaration. (laughs) I know Super Mario (laughs) Brothers is making a billion dollars at the theaters and right when no one expected anyone families to still be going to the theaters and stuff like that. But I, but I, I feel like there is a bit of toothpaste out of the tube of this that people aren't really acknowledging. So, you know, I, like you, I love watching movies in the movie theaters, but with two kids at a full-time job, it's actually pretty, it's a challenging a lot of the time for me to actually get physically get to a theater as much as I would want to be in a theater every week. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so for me, I'm just like, there, I know there, there are a lot of people out there, all, out there like me who are like, you know, it's just really convenient if I could just watch something at home, if I can break it up, even though I don't want to, I prefer to watch it all at once. If I can break up a movie into two parts, watch it over a couple nights. So then I still go to bed at a reasonable time <laughs> and be, wake up in the morning with my kids and the next day. So there's that. And there's a lot of people I know, you know, including, uh, my husband, John, who, is like I love watching movies at home. If you have a good TV mm-hmm. and you have a good sound system, like why should you want to? Go, why would you want to go to the theater, right? So I think there's there's a lot of homogenization of people's attitudes about this in this messaging that I feel like might might come back to bite them. Agreed, and th- these are all really good points, and I think that it it also uh, you know glances over uh, a sidesteps that like there's been a lot of consolidation in the movie theater because of course the people who are there are the folks who are still around uh but you know there's there's probably you know, there's fewer theaters out there there's fewer options for who's running those theaters uh and you know the you know, what's the quality experience in a lot of movie theaters i think you know there's this kind of like oh it's great like everyone loves going to see a big, you know, new blockbuster movie out somewhere, you know, out in uh, on opening weekend. But like, if the the screen is kind of torn up and the projectors too dim, and the people are not really fully paying attention, there's someone talking. Like, I think that that that's what I hear from people who are just like, I I'm not, I don't really want to go back to the movie theater. 
I liked it when it came out on my TV um, the day it came out. Or now I like that it takes like three to six weeks for it to show up on my TV. I'll wait until then, unless it's something really huge. So, you know, again, I, I love Scorsese trying to push this. We need to have smaller movies. But it's a little easier said than done when there's fewer theaters. So there's fewer art houses. There's fewer independent places. Um, so, yeah, it might be a little... Uh, uh, rose-colored glasses in the way they described it. Even if I want to, I, I want to believe X-Files style. <laughs> so, so do I, so do I. Uh, and so, yeah, the, and then the other thing was everyone sort of saying like, oh, what's the big movie coming out of this that's like Top Gun Maverick? Because I think last year Top Gun Maverick was the main headline coming out of CinemaCon. And so everyone's like, every, it sounded like from a couple of reporters that I read, sounded like that that all the studios were trying to be like this is the next top gun maverick there's a lot of contenders um did you, what mm-hmm. did you feel like was the kind of quote-unquote winner of CinemaCon? Uh, i mean you know there's there's some degree of like personal bias of what i want it to be because I, I you're right i think there was all these sort of jostling and it was like revisiting an old franchise from the 80s it's indiana jones or bringing back a a tom cruise action movie it's mission impossible um but i think the movie that was you know got the most push which is probably because like top gun maverick last year they showed the whole thing um was the flash um and that you know there was a lot of very positive uh reactions and reviews from the i mean again know 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 the source or check the source the people who run the movie theaters that are showing the movie think it's great uh and really want you to go but you know the reporters that were there as well were also like yeah this is pretty good like this this is you know the it's living up to this hype that has been kind of building of you know even with this sort of strange um you know vestigial existence uh, at the end of a, uh, a cinematic universe that's that's going to be supplanted by a new cinematic universe in a year or two um it's it's worth going to see and it's worth existing um and and looking overcoming the concerns or or issues people have with the criminal behavior of the main uh, actor uh, is, you know, it's, it's all worth it for like how good the movie is. So I think in terms of hype, that was the, that was the winner. Um, even though it probably wouldn't be my pick of the movie I'm, I'm excited about. Um, but I think that's the one that got the most sort of press. No one's expecting this movie to be good because DC has such, had such a messy history in the recent past. Um, I mean, honestly, like on the, written version of the long take on Substack, I easily could be reviewing DC stuff because <laughs> that would be within the sort of general jurisdiction of like nerd content. But I haven't just because either I'm like, I, you know, it's the sort of like, if you don't have something nice to say <laughs> sort of problem, but, <laughs> but also it just like people aren't as into them because they just don't seem to have, they have, they haven't found their stride in a way that more like Marvel has though, maybe the, this indicates that maybe the, the tables will be turning a little bit. I have no idea. People were sort of being like, I know that it's so weird. This movie is actually really good. Um, And actually I think the first sign was probably when there was an article that came out about Tom Cruise, who apropos of nothing called up, the director whose name I didn't actually write down in our Google doc. So I feel bad about that, but um, calls up the director and basically just to compliment him on this, on the movie, he had seen a screener and out of the blue was just raving about this movie. And I think 
according to because I have the quote from the Hollywood Reporter, he said something to the effect that the Flash is quote everything you want in a movie, and quote this is the kind of movie we need now. Wow. So so there was already a fair amount of surprise hype for this going into CinemaCon. And then for all the because I, I also like you saw a bunch of reporter critics and reporters who were there being like, no, no, it actually like this is actually really good. And, and an example is uh, Jermaine Lucier, who I've heard on I heard recently on the film cast that he was a part of the the really fun summer blockbuster wager, I think is what they call it uh, on there. And he also popped up in Coffee with Kenobi recently and i think he's a reporter for i want to say gizmodo or a couple of publications and so his his tweet i believe that got quoted in the article i was looking at was the flash is as good as rumored it's back to the future meets spider-man no way home with all the humor and heart of the former and action and surprises of the latter if anything it might be a tad too ambitious but it's also just incredibly satisfying heartwarming and fun that sounds pretty good (laughs) I mean, if you gotta have a logline, that's that's pretty good. Uh, it, it's Andy Muschietti, or Muschietti, okay. is the Thank director. Uh, directed the most recent uh, iteration of It, the It and It Chapter Two, um, and and has now moved on to uh, to the Flash for it seems like. Um, seven or eight years um, because it's taken a long time. But yeah, I mean, that's, I, I also saw that tweet, did not realize that was one of the people from that slash film podcast episode that I listened to because Jen recommended it. And it was a good episode of, of podcasting. That That is a good, you know, I think crystallization of this sort of hype where it's just like, if you think for all the reasons that you think you know, you may not want to see this, it, it's actually, it's actually really good, which is, interesting because and i think we may disagree on this um they did put a, a, you know a new trailer out and i still don't think it looks good i still think it looks like it's you know not it's just like another dc movie i don't know and i feel like the thing the thing that is like what like is most attractive to me i shouldn't say it's the most attractive in the story because i know there's people who love the sort of snyder verse and so they're like yes good more about the flash more about ben affleck as batman aka batfleck um let's go back into man of steel again for like the third or fourth time uh and and let's bring back michael shannon who is great i love michael shannon i don't care about his zod uh i don't care about man of steel um but it's like well michael keaton's back and it's like i love michael keaton Every clip of Michael Keaton in those movies is just like, I don't think they understand a single thing about the Tim Burton Batman movies. It was just like, Michael Keaton, will you come back and be Batman? He was like, yeah. And then they were like, here's here's some lines. And he like pasted them next to the camera. It was just like, cool, let's go. You're paying me in cash, right? Uh, and <laughs> it was ready to go. Oh. So, you know, I don't, I don't know. I love, I would love to be wrong. I don't, you know, I don't want to dig in and be like, I will never see this movie um, because, you know, again, people keep saying it's good. I'm, I'm sure people I know will start seeing it and I, you know, like that they, they will not be beholden to any sort of, you know, hype or, or, you know, they will be part of the anticipation. So if they like it, even with this new anticipation, that's, you know, that will be very persuasive for me, but I don't know. I mean, it just kind of looks like another Snyderverse movie. Sorry everybody no that's fair and i I mean i guess i was just more uh taken in i'm more gullible than you are generally i think i i was not excited about this movie after the teaser trailer i was kind of like yeah i get it michael keaton i love michael keaton 
but you know, it's this is still a D. I was sort of where you are right now, where I was like, this is still a DC movie with Ezra Miller as the Flash. Like, how are we getting excited about this? But after this trailer, I have to say, I think maybe part of it was it really reminded me that I actually do like the mm. Flash as a character. Even though I did not, I have not really liked Ezra Miller's The Flash, regardless of his personal problems uh, and crimes that he has committed. Uh, I I was not that into it. I was, because I used to be a big uh, Arrowverse, CW Arrowverse uh, fan. And not not currently, I sort of fell fell off, like lost interest. But there was a period of time where I was really into that universe. And I was like, I really liked Grant Gustin as Barry Allen. And so... But then this made me remember why I like the the sort of time travel multidimensional part of the, the speed enter the flash entering the speed force uh, to quote um, a, a line that is often quoted in jest on the big picture <laughs> podcast. It took up more time at an Oscars than like six actual awards was talking about flash entering the speed force <laughs> in a, in a, in a fan poll. Oh, that's right. It won the, that won the, most popular yeah that was oh wow that was the whole thing uh so it, we acted and they actually they actually had to say on air twice the ceremony but that was two that yeah was two years it was ago? the dune year was it was the year that they moved some of the categories off oh that's right that's right and made and then made space for, for a for the speed force Twitter yeah <laughs> for the speed force can't <laughs> rush it um so yeah i was I yeah, I was just I was really taken in by the idea of like I really want to see I I am interested in a story that's about the Flash messing up everything by trying to go back and change the past. Like I you know I'm basic. It's I was like I was like oh this this actually looks very good um, for that reason and and the idea of of the multiple Batman's. So I yeah I think the comp of Spider Man No Way Home is apt. Like I think it's gonna get people excited about it in the way that Spider Man No Way Home did because it will bring back multiple franchise like past franchises i'm gonna guess it's not just michael keaton yeah i uh there's probably a bunch of other, there's probably a bunch of other cameos i feel like if kevin conroy were still alive rest in peace he would show up uh in live action which would be pretty fun uh maybe and and maybe he will be because this movie took forever to film so maybe it filmed a little um oh, that's yeah true. if they actually get Aww. christian bale to show up that would be incredible because I could see it. I could, you know, again, they, they have, they have trucks, they have, they have trucks of money and they can back, they can back one up for, for Christian. Um, I, I don't want to denigrate the character of the flash, which I, I do like, I think maybe not, you know, I'm not as connected to it as you are. Um, I, I will just you know note for the people who are excited or are not. Um, I believe this is based on the flashpoint series, which was, you know, a, a DC comics, um, miniseries I, I i'm trying to remember i think i don't think it was just fully a standalone or if it was one of those where it was like the flash comics were running and the batman comics were running and they all sort of intersected um and and, and crisscrossed in a in an event but um but there's there's the flat there's the comics of it and there's also one of the dc animated uh, movies which are can be hit or miss but when the those does the, the animated movies they've been doing for the last 
12 or so years. Um, when they hit, they could be great. And the Flashpoint animated movie is incredible. Um, if you're if you're waiting to, to see um, what this is like, or if you are not excited for the movie, but you want to know at least like a version of this story, um, it's really good. I don't want to give away spoilers, but I, I will just say that in instead of it being like, and there's the Tim Burton um, version, uh, Michael Keaton version of Batman, um, it is instead... Um, the new universe the Flash goes to, it's Bruce Wayne, the child who's murdered in the alley, and Tom and Martha Wayne survive. And it's like, what happens to them? And like, how do they like take up the Batman mantle um, going going forward? And it's it's great. Like, it's stuff like that is super interesting, and it's a good story. And I would love to be wrong. I would love to be wrong about this movie and think that it's great when it comes out. So I look forward to eating crow here with you. I guess from let me let me add because I originally asked the question of what one CinemaCon. I feel like if I were to pick something other than The Flash, because I do agree that that was like one of the highlights coming out of it that people were like, "Hey, no, it, the, like this movie." Like I know people are counting out DC, but this movie is really good. I would say Oppenheimer kind of pulled out uh, for me in terms of hype and and people. I just today when I checked the sort of new Google News sort of headlines, all of them were about Oppenheimer. Right. Whereas like when I checked a few days ago, that was not the case, probably because the presentation hadn't happened yet. But but that that's most recap articles are leading with Christopher Nolan presented Oppenheimer and people went nuts. So I would say that that's but but unfortunately, we don't have a trailer, a new trailer or any new footage. We didn't see what the people at CinemaCon saw. And yeah, and the, I mean, the, it's interesting because the the summaries of like, and we saw this footage, it was these famous people in a room and then a different room with different famous people and they were talking and that sounds great. Like, I'm very excited for Oppenheimer. It's weird that uh, I didn't take it in our, in our, in our draft last week and it didn't really come up um, because, you know, I've, I've been a little hot and cold on sort of post uh, post Batman uh, Christopher Nolan, but like, He's great on their on their opening weekend, um, whenever he releases something. So I think this sounds like it'll be good. He also heavily hinted there will be a trailer behind Guardians Three. So next weekend we will hopefully see a trailer that is more than just um, uh, Killian Murphy walking in a hallway putting on a hat, which I think is all we've seen so far. The biggest hype increase for me for this movie was the Hollywood Reporter described what they saw as turning the historical story of Oppenheimer and the atomic bomb into a thriller uh, with which he described as the Christian Nolan described as the highest stakes imaginable. So I, then I was like, yes, this is not just going to be a history nerd movie. This is going to be like an exciting. Yeah, I was, I was, I was, that piqued my interest even more. Um, and then the LA times mentioned that, Killian Murphy and Robert Downey Jr. both give electric performances, what they said, in a, the tense montage of scenes that, and here's the thing, I was like, huh? Mix black and white and color. So some scenes are black and white and some scenes are color? I mean, if, if, I, if I remember my Christopher Nolan movies, I think that means that one sequence is going backwards and the other one's going forwards. And that's part of the rip in space and time created by the atomic bomb. Which then flat when Flash will enter the Speed Force is that what's <laughs> it's all connected? Yes, yes. It, it, it's when J. Robert Oppenheimer enters the Speed Force. I, I I have become the Flash destroyer of worlds. Okay, destroyer of movies. I guess CinemaCon destroyer of movies. 
Okay, so we've got the two big the big hitters, I think. Which movie surprised you and that you're now more excited for than you were before? Um, I'm going this is it's interesting because again, the, the, the bias of the movies I was already excited about, I'm I'm a little more excited about based on what I heard. The movie I am weirdly maybe a little bit more excited for is Wonka, which is based on almost nothing except for two facts. One is that uh, Hugh Grant is an Oompa Loompa or all the Oompa Loompas was, I don't know if that was known, but that was discussed as part of the footage that was shown. I also had no idea what in upon learning that Hugh Grant is in it, that it's the people who made the two Paddington movies are making this movie. And that's my own ignorance for not having been made, made, made myself aware of that. Um, and it's suddenly like, Oh, I have to pay attention to this now. Like I had just written off, like, I don't, I don't need a Wonka movie. I don't need young Wonka. Thank you. Um, that's fine. But now that it's like, it's the people who did the Paddington movies. Those movies are great. So it's like, maybe I need to care about this and I need to actually give it some some credit. Those movies are great. And Hugh Grant is amazing in Paddington too. And really having going crazy and having a lot of fun in his role and really hamming it up in a way that was delightful. But I actually knew that the Paddington creators were behind this. And so I was already kind of like, ooh. But for me, finding out more about this movie actually made me want to see it less or made me more concerned about it um because i was listening the other day to uh mike mike and oscar a really fun and great uh oscars podcast they really follow award season closely and they had a great episode that was like all the movies we're afraid for (laughs) oh no um and 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 this was one of them where they were like we like and, and originally i was like well i like telemothy chalamet I think he sort of his persona sort of fits a Wonka. Like I'm interested in seeing his performance as Willy Wonka, but they shared that the plot is that Willy Wonka goes up against a chocolate cartel that wants to keep him from pursuing his art of chocolatiering. And so I was just like, "Mm, uh, (laughs) that sounds ridiculous and not in a great way. (laughs) And then, then from CinemaCon hearing that like Hugh Grant is an Oompa Loompa to me, that was not a plus. That was like a, oh, this seems like it's going to be really cringeworthy. I don't really I don't really have any interest in seeing Hugh Grant trying to play an Oompa Loompa, right? Why aren't they just having actual actors? Little people, perhaps. Yeah, actual little people actors uh, playing those roles. The Oompa, as Mike, Mike, and Oscar really discussed really well, the Oompa Loompas have a history of being really problematic. And they did the, you know, the original movie doesn't age well because of the um, the treatment of the, of the, the actors in the original movie, I think. There's like a history there and exploitation kind of. And so so the fact that we're, we're bringing in Hugh Grant to be an Oompa seems like a, not a great move. I, you're not wrong. Uh, and I, I don't want to say that I necessarily am endorsing the movie or its potential um, story. I just went from like, you know, on a scale of zero to 10, I went from a zero to like a three. Um, which was like a, 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 a pretty big bump. Whereas something like Mission Impossible, I went from like a 9.6 to like a 9.7. And it's like, well, that's not a huge, it's not a huge jump. I was already on board. Sure, sure. Um, but, uh, but yeah, how about you? What was, was there another movie that got you, like you were like, I'm way more in now. This sounds, this sounds good. I would actually say I was ambivalent about Barbie last time we spoke. And now I'm back in. I'm but this is such I'm 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 in, I'm out. Like I'm I'm really going all over the place in this movie. But I feel like now now that I know more about the premise, I'm more assured that's gonna be the 
interesting movie that I thought it was going to be originally and not just kind of the service level thing that we talked about last time. So the, the, what CinemaCon revealed is that this movie is about Barbie having an existential crisis. Mm-hmm. And so I have the, the AV club set reported that the Barbie movie is about what happens when everyone's favorite, perfect plastic lady ponders death for the first time. Her existential crisis begets a fish out of water story akin to elf where a doe-eyed doll enters the real world and faces America in all its horror. So that to me, this sounds like there's a lot more commentary, satire, possibly just a lot more layers potentially to the movie than just like, Oh, Barbie and Ken making a bunch of jokes. So now I'm back in, now I'm back in on Barbie. It's, it's more competition for Oppenheimer on opening day, <laughs> potentially. Uh, and I was like, Oh, okay. Like I'm back. So th- I think that was the one that like I pulled it back up for me. Whereas most of these, like you, like you're saying, I was like already excited. Now I'm even more excited, which is in terms of a trajectory, not that interesting. Yeah, I I was uh, all like uncertain about Barbie, but I was like, yeah, I'll I'll go see it. It's also um, been made clear in in this house that Jasmine, my my girlfriend, has said like, this is my Star Wars, and when there's only been the one move, like I'm seeing this movie as soon as it comes out. Like we're we're going. Um, so it's always been the sort of primary. Oppenheimer's gonna have to wait till Saturday or Sunday, I guess, is uh, um, the the result of that weekend. But yeah, I mean, th- this sounds like much more in line with what you want or what I want, at least from Greta Gerwig and uh, and and co-writing the script with uh, Noah Baumbach. Um, it's this weird, like all that stuff from the trailer is like Toontown from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and you know she's crossing over into the real world. Will Ferrell is basically reprising his role from the Lego Movie as like Mister Business, but he's the CEO of Mattel. So yeah, like the interesting sort of meta commentary of consumerism and uh, <laughs> the nature of existence and and all that like could be a total mess seems uh, if nothing else like it will be it will be fascinating uh, i really like that the tagline which maybe had already been out there but i didn't see it until the sort of reporting from CinemaCon, is if you love barbie if you hate barbie this movie is for you so like they're really trying to to you know do some interesting things i think and i feel like that's got the greta gerwig spark to it that that i would hope for so yeah yeah i'd say that was a that was a big one and then the other big one for me in terms of hype probably was i mean yeah so many of these i was like yeah i'm already i was i was gonna go see it i'm very i can't wait for it to come out now i'm even more excited and i feel like yeah like mission impossible was one of those where they were like we saw a whole 20 minute chase scene and it was great so it's like, oh, good. Like, that's that's going to be good. And do. Oh, yeah. Dune. I mean, Dune part two. I mean, like, I don't know if I could have been more excited for that. Dune, <laughs> if Dune, you Dune. if you listen to our. Yes. If you listen to our last episode, you know, we're, we're big, big Dune fans on this podcast. Um, but I feel like the D- Denis Villeneuve trying to kind of like set the audience straight was very funny to me where he's just like, this is not a sequel. Right. It's a continu- It's part two. It's a continuation of the last film. We're going to pick up where the last film ended. And this is kind of like he, he almost the way he described it or way, I guess, like the way reporters described him describing it, which, you know, again, it's like this like weird second remove is that that this is the first movie was sort of building up towards this epic war movie that we're going to get. 
And so I'm very excited for that. Like, it's just like, yes, like that seems exactly what we would want as a, yeah. And he was like, it's not a sequel. There's a difference. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was crazy. And Zendaya was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not just in a dream sequence. Like I'm actually a character in the movie. Um, which is true. Uh, that, that is how it goes. And that's great. Uh, yeah. I, that also sounded uh, really exciting. And yeah, I mean, you, I, I don't need to push uh, my Mission Impossible agenda any further. That The movie sounds incredible. It sounds like, you know, they've just keep doing, they keep doing what they're doing. Uh, we can, we can tease, I think on Mike, Jen has begun the process of watching the, the Mission Impossible movies. I think you've done like one and a half. Yeah. So I'm partway through so, well, okay, here's the thing. I asked the internet, I, which one should I start with? And you had told me, skip two, just go straight to three, and then later go back to two. Because you'd already seen one. So that was part of it, was you were... Right, you said right, I seen right. one. Yeah. No, and like, and now that I... So then what, but what happened was before you, before I got that, received that message uh, on Substack... Uh, Matthew Freeman, who's a great writer on Star Wars, Octo Baby. Uh, you should go check it out if you like Star Wars. Uh, he was like, two is a very John Woo movie. It's kind of, you know, but it's great. Like, it's a good watch. So just start with that. He was like, just, so I was like, okay. And he, like, I had gotten that, that advice before you came in and said, just skip two. So then I watched 40 minutes of Mission Impossible 2 and was like, this feels like, poor man's James Bond, James Bond. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm like, I'm like, all right. I, I was pretty neutral about it. I was like, oh, and maybe I'm spoiling our future Mission Impossible. It's a teaser. Yeah, it's a teaser. So yeah, I, but so then I switched over midstream to Mission Impossible 3. And that was like locked in. I was like, yes, <laughs> this is, this is this. I, I get it now. I'm I'm now, I'm now committed to watching all of these movies I, I would like to clarify my my official stance on this was um that you should start at three and go three through six and then go back and clean up two and then you, i think you need because I, I don't know when you last watched it but you might need to go back and revisit one because it seems like they're really pulling from one in this upcoming one like they're bringing characters oh, back the new one the, yeah like because you know Again, we don't want to dig it too much, but like they were very disparate and kind of separate for a while. And they, when Macquarie has taken over, he started being like, "No, let's tie these threads and really connect folks back together." And uh, you know, in doing that, I think now they are um, uh, they're they're pulling from one. There's characters from one that are that are going to be in this one, which that's crazy because I feel like based on what little I've seen so far, I never would have guessed that this is a franchise that was interested in doing that? It wasn't until the, uh, I would say the fourth movie is when uh, like more characters are coming back. Like it used to just be like the two that would always be around. Um, but yeah, starting like the last two, like fifth and sixth are really sort of dragging, pulling in more people. Okay. And because of CinemaCon, it's now been spoiled for me. I think that Haley Atwell shows up yes i mean it also could have been so, spoiled in the trailer if you watch the trailer that's been out since top gun right. Maverick. which i which i hadn't fair enough before starting this 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 watch along adventure um, <laughs> per your request and i feel like because greg had texted oh there's going to be an actress that jen's gonna really like 
And I feel like this that's probably yes. her. So although I, I will say I didn't know this is uh, and it, this is again maybe sort of a spoiler in its own way that this is you know new to the series um, is and I don't know if I'm going to say the name correctly Palm Clementif. Uh, who plays Mantis in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies and the wider Marvel movies is uh, is also in this and I guess playing a villain, which uh, that should be fun. I, I haven't. Uh, that would be a, a fun, different look. Um, one of what I'm assuming is going to be like seven or eight villains in this movie, um, based on the various returning characters that they have. Oh, I see. I see what's going on. Yeah, I I loved her, uh, especially in the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. I thought she was brilliant. And so and yeah, to see her play and because her character uh, characterization of Mantis is so childlike and innocent. It's going to be really interesting to see her as a villain. I'm excited about that. Let me ask you a question, Jen. Besides Wonka, is there any other movie where your excitement level is turned down? because of CinemaCon. <laughs> yes. So the next big one that jumps out at me, there's probably a couple. The next big one that jumps out at me is the Hunger Games prequel, which I was pretty neutral on. Neutral to, in- to slightly interested because I enjoyed the original Hunger Games movies. Uh, and I enjoyed the original books. Like I was, I was there for that whole moment, right? With, you know, jennifer lawrence's burgeoning career and and the whole the whole thing i I was on board for hunger games but i was not really craving anymore i was pretty i was pretty satisfied with what they gave us and i was like i don't really need to revisit this franchise like i'm good and so when i heard that there was a prequel originally i was like all right i'll probably go see that but i'm not really gonna like pay too much attention to it like it's whatever it's it's a prequel who knows but then when i saw the trailer that came out of CinemaCon. I'm just like, oh, no, <laughs> this does not look that good. It has tons of actors that I really like. I was surprised. I was like, Viola Davis is in this as like some crazy mad scientist villain type character. Uh, Peter Dinklage is in this. And and the premise, for those who have, don't know anything about it, is it's supposed to be a much earlier edition of the games. And it's the sort of like the origin story, villain origin story, perhaps, I would assume, of president snow who's the, mm. in Do- the donald sutherland the new, he's the he's the yeah Do- thank you i was like i can't remember his name for a second he's yeah he's the main villain from the original series and so this is like sh- the main character is a younger version of him and i honestly like i don't think i need to understand more about <laughs> snow as a villain like he was fine in the original series uh so i'm not that invested in learning about him as a younger like where how he came to be the way he came but that's what this movie seems to be and and just like there was one moment where peter dinklage who i love he's amazing looks up at the actor who's playing young snow and says do you know what that sounds like snow falling and oh, i was like God. oh no this is oh 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 we're doing that okay <laughs> haven't so, haven't you had enough issues yeah. <laughs> no. i'm like how did they get all these people in this movie if it's not gonna be good it just i could be wrong i would love to be wrong because as i said like i do i do have fond memories of watching the original movies and reading the original books they're great they're great white dystopian ya but but i'm just like i don't i don't know if this is good for this mm-hmm. franchise i don't think we need to be going here I mean, I, I think it's fair to say we all want the, any movie to be good. Like, that would be better to have a movie that's good than not. Uh, I mean, 
Jen's laughing. But I think that's, you know, that's not always true. Some people love to have this like things to hate and and kick on. But I don't think either of us really approach things that way. Like we would love to be pleasantly surprised that like, oh, actually we had a great time at the Hunger Games prequel. But yeah, the the summary of it, I actually didn't even see that the footage was out. I thought it was only in the room. I just saw some stills and the description that of it was just like it's a it's a the dark and gritty version of the hunger games and it's like i don't think i need a dark and gritty version it was it wasn't like light and and smooth in the original story like you know i and i just feel like the instinct i've i've moved i moved beyond feeling like oh make it darker that's good like i want this to be like a grimier thing um maybe it works maybe it's great but um yeah it doesn't doesn't i'm not excited about it i'm not going to be looking forward to it yeah and i'll i'll try to post all of the trailers for what the movies we're talking about that are available in the the post like in the notes for this so so please if you're listening watch these and report back what do you think <laughs> we'd love to hear your thoughts that's a that's a, that's a nice way of jen subtly reminding me that the link to the trailer was in our pre- preparation google talk and i just didn't even see it i didn't click on it i didn't oh. know it was there uh and uh it didn't even cross my mind to look for it because i feel like i was like i've read enough it's fine <laughs> i also i think i threw i discovered it at the last minute because i think it didn't pop up naturally in my research of cinema like like in my feed like of people posting about CinemaCon, i don't think it popped up as a trailer but i when i went into i think i can't remember which article it was now i found an article that did like a larger recap mm. and it had like a slideshow uh, interesting. it might have been like av club or something and so and then so this popped up and i was like i guess it could be i should check later it could be an older trailer but i don't think it is i think it's they they put it out after because the beginning of the opening of the trailer on youtube says like trailer premiere <laughs> so so i assume it came out at CinemaCon. um but yeah i think we've already spent too much time talking about <laughs> that, that's probably true um i guess just to talk briefly about some other uh, sequel movies that got uh trailers that that people can go and watch um there's a trailer for the new transformers movie it, it looks like one of the transformers movies uh i'm i Good luck to the people who really like those. I hope this is, uh, you have a good time. I I hope everyone had fun and enjoyed playing the game. Um, But yeah, it's it's Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Uh, Unicron seems to be involved and shows up. It's set in the 90s. Um, which uh, you know that you you can tell because it says 1994 in big letters and it shows the World Trade Center three times um, to be just like by the way this is before 2001 this was in the 90s uh, and it's like oh, oh okay um, I like Anthony um, Ramos like I think that you know he's a good performer I I, I do wish there were more beasts um, there's like a, a, a gorilla a dino gorilla in the or whatever a, a, a gorilla pot. Uh, in the very beginning and then there's basically no beasts until there's a one you know the the sort of show off tracking shot of a big battle um but it's just like where 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 are the beasts it's really a lot of optimus prime versus unicron uh talk in uh in the trailer which um when i was eight i would have been like that sounds great um but i've unfortunately seen uh two of the movies that michael bay made um that are transformers so i'm not excited about this the biggest moment of cognitive dissonance for me when watching this trailer was hearing michelle yo's voice come out of 
a transformer cheetah or some kind of big cat. Yeah. And I was just like, huh? Hmm. Like, why is she in this movie? Let, let her get her bag. <laughs> I guess. Let her just. I get no. I guess like she just you know she's good for her. She's cashing cashing some Transformers checks. Like I, but I I just it just seems so weird to me that like her like that she would be in this movie. Um, but at the same time, like like you, I really like Anthony Ramos. I I really enjoyed him in in the Heights, uh, the 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 film ver- version of In the Heights, and um, also Dominic Fishback, who's from Judas and the Black Messiah. I don't know how, but she's she's in this trailer just for a quick second. Uh, I saw her. Uh, but I like her a lot as well. Do I? Did I want her movie after Jews and the Black Messiah, where she's amazing? Did I want her next movie to be a Transformers movie? Probably not. But you know, it did. You know who did? This is what it takes for her to get, her, get into her, it. Her checking account did, though. Her checking account loved it. Yes. So <laughs> I have to say, this is another. What I'm learning from doing this podcast is that there's huge movie fran- blockbuster franchises that I've just totally not seen, and this is one of them. I have not. This is probably the worst one where I have not seen a single Transformers movie. And I can't really tell you why. Like, I, you know, I like movies like this. I know Michael Bay gets a lot of flack generally for these movies. And that and that everyone says Bumblebee is the good one. So I guess I should go watch. I, I have not seen Bumblebee, but I have heard that's the good one. I've never really forgiven the franchise for being excited for the first movie and going and seeing it. And every character who's not Optimus Prime is just gray. And I mean, Bumblebee. Optimus Prime and Bumblebee are the only ones. Everyone's just kind of gray. And mm. it's, I mean, intricate CGI, but it's just sort of like they try to really sort of be like, here's all the like pieces that would move. And it's like all, they all look the same. Like they all kind of turn into the same kind of vehicles when they turn into vehicles. And the battles are just like so, are just cut in that like late 2000s, like post born, like hyper speed of just like, I don't know what's happening. And I don't care. And I can't even like tell who's who because they're all the same color. Um, and I have, I've got I've got a friend who is uh, doesn't defend uh, I believe Dark of the Moon, which is the third one, um, but he contends that if you fast forward through all the scenes where humans are talking and you only watch the like forty eight minute movie that is just the action scenes, they made it to be in three D because it was during the three D boom that they they couldn't do those quick cuts, so actually the action is intelligible and therefore interesting. Um, and the big bad is voiced by Leonard Nimoy, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, you know, there's something cool about that. Um, but he tried to show that to me <laughs> while watching. We watched it. He was fast forwarded to the scenes he thought was good. And I still was like, this isn't very good. Um, so when I say I've watched two Transformers movies, I really mean one in like two fifths. <laughs> and a YouTube cut of the other right. one. <laughs> um, but, uh, um, but yeah. Yeah, for the, for this one, I have to say that the beast factor was probably the way they were going to get me. And they didn't quite they didn't quite do it. I was like, okay. I, I feel like the last one, which was The Last Night, um, which featuring Sir Anthony Hopkins, uh, presumably writing uh, NAR in his script, which he says he does when he does big blockbuster movies and he could write, he writes no acting required when it's like, it doesn't matter what I do. I just can stand there and deliver these lines. Um, and uh, that, that, that movie had the Dinobots. Like, I believe, because that was the one where I was like, the trailer came out and I was like, I don't care anymore. I'm, you know, I haven't watched Transformers. I'm not doing this. And then the end of the trailer was a Dinobot. And I was like, oh my God, I have to see this. Um, but then it came and went and I didn't actually see it. So yeah, I would think the Dinobots or the Beast, um, the Beast War um, people, creatures um, would uh, would get me in, but apparently not. 
Um, speaking of franchises that exist that um, from talking beforehand, neither of us have paid attention to, there's a third Equalizer movie coming out um, starring Denzel Washington, directed by Antoine Fuqua. Um, and there's a trailer for it. And the trailer made me feel like I should have maybe paid attention to the first two Equalizer movies. I vaguely recall the Equalizer show. I, I believe, uh, you know, Boston Connections, I believe, you know, the books at least were set in Boston. I don't know about the show. And I certainly don't know about the movies. Um, but, uh, you know, it kind of looked like, not not like John Wick level, like ultra violence, but, you know, basically Denzel Washington being a like stoic yet like constantly threatening badass and it's just like yep good like that sounds good i feel like i could have a good time with it and this one set in italy he faces the mafia like the real sicily mafia um i don't know you know seems cool yeah i mean i had a similar reaction where you put this in the our google doc i watched this trailer and i said where where was i for equalizer one and two like why don't i why don't i know this is a franchise why don't i recognize this at all um but yeah it piqued my interest for sure like denzel washington goes to italy and fights organized crime like yeah sure i'll watch that and i also i did have to double check to make sure it's true there is also an equalizer show on now starring queen latifah on right now starring queen latifah as the equalizer so this to me, this is this is so strange that it almost feels like Berenstain Bear level. <laughs> like, did something? Did I? Am I in another timeline where like I never saw or heard about any of these movies or the show? So, yeah, this is very weird. It, it's the sort of thing I'm only aware of from the occasional times that I'm interested in a sporting event that airs on CBS because that's when I would see an ad for it. And I want to uh, make an immediate apology for everyone. I was confusing the original Equalizer, which was an, an original story for TV, with Spencer for Hire, a different late 80s detective show. That's the one that was written by an author and set in Boston. So oh, um, okay. that's uh, the Equalizer. Um not that is not what that was. Uh, it uh, was, I don't know, something else starred somebody named Edward Woodward. Good good for them. A retired intelligence agent with a mysterious past who goes out uh, equalizing, I guess. All right. I think well, we should at least, now we only have two of the actual trailers that are available left, so we should probably just go through those. I probably should have segued to this one when I was talking about Michelle Yeoh earlier, but A Haunting in Venice, which is the latest Kenneth Branagh does Agatha Christie series, which I have to admit, I actually don't think I've seen either of the other two. Is it, is it, um, murder or maybe I, I can't it's murder on the Orient Express and death in death on the Nile. Death on the Nile. Yeah. I actually don't think I not for again, no reason. I don't know why I didn't see those. I do enjoy mysteries. I enjoy Agatha Christie. So, but I, but I've just heard, I think it's probably that I heard that they were not very good. And then I sort of said, Oh, I can wait to watch those. And then I never got around to it. So that's probably what happened. So I was like mildly interested in this. I was like, okay, like, let's see what this is about. But it looks like it's actually not an Agatha Christie type like the tone of it doesn't really feel like agatha christie to me it feels like a straight-up horror movie and and again i was like oh michelle yo in an agatha christie novel you know in period clothing 
solving mystery. Like, I'm like, yes, like that sounds great. And then I watched this trailer and I was like, this is scary. I don't want to watch it. It was a pretty like, yeah, it's really leading into like, this is a scary movie. Like, yeah, it looks like a straight up horror yeah. movie. There's there's a there's a, a ghost or a vision that appears before in the mirror to Hercule Poirot. Uh, which I wasn't expecting it to be that kind of a movie. My guess is it's not that, that it's, you know, it has those elements. Kind of cut it together. Yeah, to it, like it is. I mean, there, it is still based on an Agatha Christie book called The Halloween Party, I think. Yeah, Halloween Party. Um, and, but, you know, they're keeping it the blank in blank um, to, to, to maintain the consistency of the movie titles. Um, yeah, I have seen the first two of these and I really want them to be good and they're not. Uh, they're just like, you know, it's it's tough. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, to quote to quote Jomi from the Ringerverse, it's tough um, because they're uh, you know it's the casts are great and and you know that like the, the, the sort of Christie machinations are uh, are super fun. You know, a little corny, but uh, you know, classic for for a reason. I don't know. And I like Kenneth Branagh. Like, you know, that, that should be fun. So do I. Um, but you know, it's, they're not like, you know, Oh my God, avoid them. Never, never, ever watch them. But like, they're not like particularly good. My main, my main, you know, your takeaways and the, the two, my two main reactions to the trailer you already said, which was Michelle Yeoh. Like I forgot she was in this too. And I was like, Oh my God, this is great. Um, She's running the seance that is like, allegedly bringing the the spirit into the haunting creating the haunting of the title um and then that it was like this is like legit trying to be a real horror movie um my other reaction is there's one moment where um one of the characters and i can't remember exactly what it is but it's just sort of just like you can't like you know like you've you're in denial that something this thing is happening um but it's a character played by tina fey and it just made it sound like it's a 30 rock like this bit because you know and i no disrespect i would love for tina fey to be able to cross over into even semi-serious uh dramatic movies or even spooky movies if that's what she wants to do but like her voice just was so uniquely her voice that i was like this now this feels like a sketch. it was very liz lemon yeah. it was liz lemon at dapper day at disneyland <laughs> that's a reference that means anybody uh because she's in period costume yeah. with like a bobbed haircut so i mean I also had that moment where I was like, wait a minute, that was Tina Fey. <laughs> Cause it's also so fast. And she's she comes out of nowhere in the trailer. Like she's not in the trailer up until that moment, <laughs> I feel like. And so it's just a quick shot of her saying that one line. And it yeah, it's, it doesn't really fit with everything else. So I don't know. Yeah. So this the hype definitely I didn't have that much hype for this to begin with, but it definitely went down <laughs> after seeing this trailer where I was like, I'm probably not gonna watch this. Um I think for me, if like if this the same movie were a couple notches more Guillermo del Toro creepy instead of jump scare horror. And if it were more Ryan Johnson than Kenneth Branagh, then I'd be on board, but it's not any of those things. If it was just a totally different movie, it could be good. (laughs) I guess what I'm saying is Ryan Johnson team up with Michelle Yeoh to adapt to Agatha Christie. Like, like let's, let's do that. Or, Um, and then, and then have Guillermo del Toro be a consultant on the. Yeah. Or Guillermo del Toro cast Michelle Yeoh in Crimson Peak 2. That yes, exactly. That's exactly what I was talking about. That's exactly the movie I had in mind when I was thinking about this. I'm like, Oh, this could be better if it were more like Crimson Peak. 
Not that Crimson Peak was like the best movie yeah. ever. It's but it was better than yeah, these Poirot movies, unfortunately, for the Poirot movies. Again, I would love for I would love to like them more. Uh, all right. Well, yeah, we've got one more, and we're ending we're ending this trailer talk with uh, a, an up note, I think, for both of us. Next goal wins the Taika Waititi. We did talk we did talk about this briefly on our our year in preview episode. So Taika Waititi. A uh, soccer movie with starring Michael Fassbender, and finally got to see a trailer. And I feel like I have a much better feel for what this movie actually is now from seeing this trailer, which is great. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think it looks like it's really fun. It's, you know, it doesn't have the, uh, I don't want to say weight, but you know, obviously Jojo Rabbit had a, a sort of heaviness to it because of the setting and the context and even just the, the core concept of it um, in, in, in world war two with Adolf Hitler, those things are heavy. Um, and the, the Thor movies have the weight of the Marvel world, uh, you know, one, one way or the other. Um, so yeah, this kind of felt like a little, you know, had the same sort of vibes of your hunt for the wilder people, um, you know, sort of earlier Taika, um, where it's it's just sort of you know a very kind of small nice story that doesn't seem like you know I'm I'm confident there will be flashes of you know emotion and and seriousness in it, but that it's mostly just pretty light, aiming to be funny, clash of cultures, um, and seemed like it would be a good time. I don't know. I I I was enjoying it. It gave me big Ted Lasso vibes. Like if Ted Lasso were more like House MD. And went to American Samoa instead of England. I think that's basically this movie to me, and which I'm here for. I'm here for that. I love Ted Lasso. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's basically Michael Fassbender gets he, he's given a choice. He's like, you can get fired from whatever current team he's coaching, or you can go to Samoa and coach coach a really flailing team there, like they're not doing well. Um, and as as someone who just started the the docu series Welcome to Wrexham, which is Ryan Reynolds <laughs> buys buys a a, a a football league in a, a struggling football league in Wales, that I was like I was primed to be excited for this <laughs> for sure. I'm really I'm really in a in a in a soccer phase right now. I guess yeah. I was I I'm. I'm the hype definitely went up for this. I was all I was my interest was peaked, but I was like, eh, I don't really know. And then now I'm like, oh, I will, I will definitely look forward to seeing this movie. Now. Yeah, I think uh, first of all, Rob McElhinney erasure uh, in talking about Welcome to Wrexham, oh, but that's fine. Uh, that's okay. I was worried. I was worried I wasn't going to pronounce his name correctly. Honestly, that's that's really why I didn't mention it's, him. It's it's uh, it's one one of the bits of the whole series is that you know everyone cares about Ryan Reynolds more, um, but uh, but yeah, it's you know I think the only hesitation uh for this movie that i was expecting was you know sort of taika burnout which is just like there's what we do in the shadows there's our flag means death there's you know the thor movies like he's been you know his his style has been out there um i like all of those things so i didn't like i know there there, there are people like they really i think love and thunder really got turned on by a lot of people because they were just like no it's enough. It's done. And there's it. It also feels like Kathleen Kennedy asked him to write a Star Wars movie, and he froze up, and then like had said, "The dog ate my homework." Yes. Well, in, in, to some degree, in his defense, That's, there's nothing to substantiate that. By no. the way, I'm 
completely projecting a narrative on. I mean, he would he would not be the first person for whom that's happened, according to at least rumors. Um, Michael Arndt was supposed to write episode seven and never turned it in. It was just sort of like I don't know how to do this. Um, so uh, you know, he wouldn't be alone uh, in that. And uh, you know, but I have seen sort of the you know, there's like super this is the instagram reel algorithm will spit out um uh, little compilations of taika in interviews just being like i never want to write things it takes me 10 years to write a script um you know my, my advice for people who uh try to write things is just never do it is just absolutely never do the work um and he's joking but like it also feels like it's kind of true that he's like everything that he does he's like i started writing this like 12 years ago um and it takes him a long time to get anything anything done um so uh, you know, th- so that said, I feel like you know there, there's a people who have been hitting a sort of Taika wall. Um, I haven't really gotten there yet, but I'm all, like I'm still sort of like maybe this is the time. Maybe I go see Next Goal Wins, and I'm just sort of like okay, I get it. Um, but there's nothing in the trailer to indicate that that will be my reaction because uh, I had a great time with it, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah. All right, so that's all the movies that I, as far as I know, had trailers that were publicly available after the presentation. So everything else is just hearsay from here yes. on out. Um, but there, what it, what's maybe one or two things that you want to spot spotlight from films that either had trailers or footage that they just showed in the room and that we're just kind of reading about, um, or that we haven't mentioned yet, or just th- you know anything anything from CinemaCon that we haven't talked about yet that. Yeah, so I mean, this is this is partly me justifying the 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 pick in our last episode that I was the most uh, uh, regretful about. Uh, however, there was uh, footage shown from Ridley Scott's Napoleon, um, which uh, was I think they said it was like a five minute battle scene, and people were like, "It's incredible! Like it's um, you know this is it's amazingly well done." Like Joaquin is Joaquin Phoenix playing Napoleon was like you know, riveting and doing a great job um as as uh people noted and we had in our document not speaking in a french accent not even pretending to try going full captain ramius uh from hunt for october just going in his regular voice uh and not worrying about it and uh probably for the best and uh yeah i mean it's it, it sounded like uh a a you know the kind of things people were uh, you know, they're excited about this one. Oh, this is like you know, the old school, this kind of you know, old, old timey, uh, uh, you know, classic 60s, 70s style, like big war scene, um, you know, the Soviet version of War and Peace and, and you know, Barry Lyndon from Stanley Kubrick. Uh, so um, that sounds really good. The um, I don't forget who was doing the presentation. I think it was like, you know, someone from the studio um, who was sort of already starting the drumbeat because he was just like, you know, it's really weird. Ridley Scott's never won Best Director uh, and he's 80-something years old and, uh, you know, he's out there doing stuff that people half his age aren't able to do, like, watch this footage. So it's like, oh man, they're really, they're already beginning his the campaign, narrative. That's an official st- Yes. His campaign is yeah, the, 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 the The ribbon dropped on the, on the campaign and the race is on. The ribbon's at the that's, end. That didn't make sense. That's so... That's so thinly veiled. That's amazing. I love yeah. that. <laughs> um, I feel, and I feel like that's been a perpetual thing that journalists have commented on as well. I can't, I cannot remember who said it, but so I think, oh, now it is pop culture, pop culture confidential, which is a podcast I only just recently started listening to. They were, they were doing their sort of year in preview like episode and 
specifically were like in awe over how old <laughs> George Lee Scott is. And I believe one of the people in the conversation whose name I can't remember now, unfortunately, said that she had interviewed Ridley Scott and asked explicitly asked him about this. And his response was like, I only just figured out how to make movies finally. <laughs> so like, why would I want to stop? <laughs> Which I was like, that's delightful. Classic. Ridley Scott. Yes. Um, so do, do you feel like the Joaquin Phoenix no accent thing is a response to, because I believe Gladiator when it originally came out was kind of started the discourse around why does, why do, does everyone have to have British accents when we're doing things that happened a long time ago? Do you remember I, that? I, I, I mean, I remember there being some like noting of that. I don't recall that being like necessarily the sort of the, the flashpoint uh, as it were of that, uh, of that discussion. But um, that, that does make sense that it, to, to question that of why, why is it that anything old is British? Like that's not like some weird sort of, colonialism hangover in America of just like, I don't know, I guess they're British. It's all in Europe. Um, but you know, I, that doesn't, that doesn't inherently bother me. Uh, it feels like it probably would be more of a distraction if Joaquin Phoenix couldn't do a really good French accent, but even like, why would like, it, it, whatever there's something like that, I'm always just like, if they're speaking in that accent, why aren't they speaking in French? Like, why, why wouldn't you just, you know, speak yep. normally? So it's sort of like, you know, we have like a universal translator and we're just hearing, you know, we're just hearing the like American English version of what these characters in early 1800s France were saying. Um, I don't mind that. Sure. But I have to because I drafted no, this movie. I'm okay with you. And now I'm trying to rack my brain to be like, has Joaquin Phoenix ever done an accent? That's a good he question. He must have, I'm right? Sure. I feel like his original Gladiator character probably did a little bit. Yeah, that sounds. But like it wasn't it a British right. accent. It was like not a recognizable accent. It was just a voice different than his. Yeah. Because he kind of had the sort of like. I'm vexed. I, don't I remember vexed was yeah. the big sort of like. Thing. He's in Quills, the um, movie with Jeffrey Rush about Marquis de Sade as Abbé de Colmier. So perhaps he spoke in a French accent then. Hmm. I think he did. He did like a Southern accent when he was Johnny Cash. Um, clearly, oh, clearly right. looking at his filmography. Right. Um, oh, he does a Joker accent when he's Joker. I don't know. I don't oh, know what that means. That's true. Right. That, that means nothing. Um, <laughs> Anyway, so I actually had a quote from the LA Times that I really liked about their, you know, they had someone in the room uh, describing this. So they said that the studio shared a long battle scene, which you mentioned, which echoes some of Scott's goriest gladiator moments. And I actually heard this comment from multiple sources that they were like, this is gladiator, not House of Gucci. So it's sort of like, they're like, we're going back to, I think the, the, the subtext there is like, good Ridley Scott <laughs> um, and then it said in the extended war scene the Frenchman shows off his military acumen on the battlefield tempting the rival army onto snowy ice before beginning an assault it is dramatic and unflinching Sounds yeah like that does sound good I will once again reiterate it's last dual erasure to uh, act as if he hasn't been doing gladiator level work uh, in period pieces in recent times but that's okay I'm one of like eight people in the world who remember that movie exists, but I recommend it to I, everyone. I don't know if I should be admitting this. I have still only seen the first half of that. Movie. I mean, you've only seen one and a half uh, versions of the story. Yeah. 
I didn't even finish the ch- the second brush of it. <laughs> and it's again, it was not. I just had to stop watching it for like life right. reasons, and then I just forgot to go back. Like I, you know, you know, it, it broke it broke my concentration, it, and I haven't. Got it back. is also a little, you know, it's it's not a an easy ask to be like, and let's watch this uh, story about this sexual assault. Another another version of it. Um, maybe it'll be more graphic this and time. It's like okay. that is where around where I quit. I don't want to say quit where I paused sure. and then never went back uh, is the, when they're actually showing what like what right. happened, the, the, ins, the inciting incident. Yeah. So I don't want to spoil it, but um, that was, I was like, Oh, do I really want to, I'm like, Oh, let's, I got to go do this other thing now. <laughs> right. But it was very good. I agree. Like it's kind of baffling as like a historical epic action movie. It should have done way better than it did. I will agree with that. Yeah. Uh... Oh well, that's okay. We'll it'll 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 have its time. Maybe this will make up for it. Yeah. Napoleon will make up for it. Yeah, I'm, I'm hopefully. And then maybe more people because of Napoleon will go watch the last duel. Someday there will be a last duel Napoleon double feature or a the Duelists and Napoleon double feature, which was Ridley Scott's first movie, also set in that time period. So I see, I see what you did. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, okay. So Napoleon was another one. Uh, is there another movie that we haven't discussed? There is. I'm looking at one. Um, I'll, I'll defer to you again uh, if you want to talk about it that we haven't really discussed yet. Oh, I'm assuming you mean Indiana Jones. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yes, I think this. This I haven't mentioned this so far, just because this is one of the ones where I'm like, I was already very excited. As if you listened to our last episode. You would know. Uh, and then this made me even like this, like was like the cup, the cup was running over after, after this. So it was, they, they actually showed a chase scene, which I think I can piece together after the trailer and descriptions. See, this is, this is how desperate we are. I was piecing together clues. I shouldn't speak for you. This is how desperate I am. I was piecing together clues. I'm like, okay, the descriptions journalists said of what the, the, the chase scene was about they said it was Phoebe Waller Bridge's character and Harrison Ford, you know, Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones, and they're both bickering with each other as they're being chased by a bunch of bad guys. And I was like, oh, if you watch the last trailer, they cut right before that happens because she's like, we got to get out of here, right? They're talking to each other, and then he's, she's, she's like, we got to get out of here because a bunch of bad guys are closing in. So I feel like that's where I would place the scene that they mm-hmm. showed. It's probably right after that in the trailer. Yeah. So, I mean, not that that really helps anyone. <laughs> I've cracked the case. <laughs> Done. Solved. Jones trailer. Five okay. stars out of five. Um, but but the thing that excited me most from I, um, I'm the quote I have in front of me, which I'm not going to read because it's too long, is from the Hollywood Reporter. They mentioned specifically that Phoebe Waller Bridge is like really impressive as an action star in this scene. That she punches, leaps, and jumps car, uh, jumps cars, and at one point is seen hanging out of the back of a car window in full action star mode. Cool. I'm ready. Sounds good. Um, yeah. The only the only other thing, and again, is this uh, um, true? This is one of those things where I didn't I didn't put it in our document. I didn't quote it, but I, I saw it, and and now I must share it. Um, is, uh, again, I, I don't know if this was like official information cause it wasn't in any of the reports or if it was sort of like a speculation or rumor, but that the, the, the de-aged sequence with young, you know, youngish Harrison Ford, uh, 
you know, put back into like the probably early forties, like after last crusade. Um, but obviously much younger than he is now is long, like is a huge part of the movie, like is like 25 minutes of the movie. And that it was like, he was so good at like, he could still do it. So it works great. Um, but I, I still, I, I am someone we'll, we'll get to the, the Scorsese movie um, starring Robert De Niro uh, momentarily. Um, I'm a big fan. Uh, I, I like the Irishman a lot. The scene where Robert De Niro is supposed to be like in his forties and beating up some guy is borderline depressing at how like awkward he is. I don't know um, if, if Jen, if you've actually watched the Irishman or if other people have, but there's, he's, you know, doing a sort of classic De Niro in a Scorsese movie, grab a guy, throw him out a window, kick him on the street. And it's like, yeah, this, this is a 70 something year old man who has like DH digital face, like moving very clunkily, um, which is really the only time in the movie that I couldn't, you know, like put aside sort of the uncanny valley of it and be like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. They're just, they're, right. It took you out of it. Yeah. It was, but yeah, there, there's just kind of no excuse for it. So like, I've seen Harrison Ford. I, I watched all the, the season of shrinking. I've actually watched it twice um, because my parents came and wanted to watch it. So I watched it again. I've seen Harrison Ford. Now I've seen him run in uh, the force awakens, which was a while ago now. Um, and he does not run like a 40 year old man. So I, I am uh, somewhat dubious of this claim, um, but maybe with, you know, he can move well enough and then stunt performers taking over mm-hmm. for any actual action things. But yeah, that's, um, uh, very interesting, how, whatever the sort of uh, sequence of events or or structure of the narrative yeah. that leads to it is. Apparently, there is a a solid chunk of DH'd Harrison Ford. That that's surprising, and honestly, like that seems like a very bold choice. Like they're really confident yeah. in the the technological side of it to be able to do that. Because I feel like you know, if we think about de-aged mark hamill that we've seen right like or you know like other other de-aging cameos have been so short because you know they don't want to they don't want the seams to show Mm -hmm. as much right they're like oh oh here we go oh it's gone (laughs) right um you didn't see anything that was bad um (laughs) just just enough to evoke the character right so so i you know i'm impressed by that i think it's certainly a uh vote again and it's a rumor again didn't come out in the official news so maybe it's wrong um but if it's true it's a a vote of confidence in the technology and a vote of confidence in the the story that it thinks that like this whatever's happening will be interesting enough to yada yada past any potential like you know seams being shown nice all right any other last shout outs because i think we're, we're getting to the end of our list here. i'm uh very happy uh, with the uh, deadlines, um, the quick sort of summary description of Killers of the Flower Moon, that it's like a gangster movie smashed with a Western, um, which sounds great. Um, and they released three more photos. There's been one photo from this movie for like 18 months, and it's Leo, Leo DiCaprio sitting at a table um, with uh, his co-star, whose name I never remember. Um Lily Gladstone. Thank you. Um, still wanted to call her Emily Gladstone. Um, so thank you for stepping in on that. Um, I'll, rem- I'll, I'll remember it by the time the movie comes out. Um, so that's just been the one photo in every story, in every like tweet, in every sort of post about it. Um, so now there's a couple more. 
Um, there's the two of them uh, with uh, sort of seems to be like outside. Um, there's De Niro sitting in a car talking to DiCaprio. Uh, and then there's um, Lily Gladstone talking to sitting in a church pew talking to Martin Scorsese, um, which I think is supposed to be behind the scenes, but looks as staged as the uh, other the other photos. Yeah. Um, but, you know, sounds uh, sounds like it's good. Uh, I think they showed. They might have showed like just a little bit, or they did some behind the scenes. They also might have just shown these images and been like, "That's all you get." Um, but you know, Scorsese took his t- spent his time both talking about the movie and he got an award. They gave out some awards at this uh, event for sort of lifetime achievement things. Um, you know, mostly sort of focusing on how important movie theaters are and how important non non blockbuster um, movies are. Sort of like the the uh sidestepping his uh marvel isn't it marvel movies aren't movies they're uh, theme park rides type thing of this we need to have you know these other kind of movies into um which is which is great and i continue to be excited for this movie nice and then there were actually a slew of movies i'm just going to quickly list them because i don't think we have too much to say about them mm-hmm. but we haven't mentioned them we didn't even mention them in the last episode that we did. So I think they're they're worth mentioning because now they seem, because of CinemaCon, they're kind of like more on the radar uh, at this point. So one is Gran Turismo, which is not necessarily a movie about the video, based on the video game, but it is based on a true story of someone who played the video game and then became a real life race car driver, which is a little, little light year the the movie mm. based on the real life the per- to- person is the toy like that it's I'm like uh, read some red flags started going off with that but I mean people seem generally interested in it after this like it's got David Harbor mm. and there's one other big name who is escaping me right now but there's I, I will admit then, I, 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 just yeah. to say something I I got a little excited about it because I didn't know about this story I guess the story is there was a reality competition i think i think it was a show that was like if you're really good at gran turismo like come on this show and we'll have you drive real cars and one of the people from that is now like a successful race car driver in life and like to me like that sounds like i've always thought the best movies like adapting video games or sort of trying to use video games are movies that are not about here's the narrative of the game um, you know, all due respect to like The Last of Us, um, but instead it's about people playing video games and like them somehow coming to life. You go in the '80s, you got The Last Starfighter, you have War Games, you've got Cloak and Dagger, and I'm like, oh, this kind of is in that mode of this is a movie about how people play video games and what that could mean. That it's basically like a real life version of The Last Starfighter that just becomes car racing instead of fighting an intergalactic battle against the evil Zord or well, I forget the name of the bad guys in that movie. That's all. <laughs> all right. Oh, that's a good point. I like that. I like putting it in that, that lineage makes me more interested. Um, the other one is that, <laughs> and there were there's a lot of the time critics were referencing this like sarcastically as opposed to genuinely excited. Uh, but Craven the Hunter is uh, a true R rated I think it, I think they're saying it's Sony's first R-rated Marvel movie because mm. it's based on a Marvel character, um, and 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 a lot of people were saying that like the the trailer was very graphic that they saw that we you know it's not publicly available but that they saw in the room and and that like Craven bites a guy's nose off or something like that like people were like it's brutal uh, and other people were like yeah but it's it's still a Sony Marvel movie so like what like, what are we doing so 
Yeah, and you mentioned in our Google Doc, but what about Venom? And I'm like, exactly. Like, it's probably... I'm, I, this has not increased the hype for me at all because I was like, you know, the Venom. I I have actually really enjoyed the Venom movies. Me too. Morbius, Morbius actually probably is the better comp in this situation for me right now in terms of attitude, where I'm just like, yeah, like I saw Morbius, so you're on hold, you're on notice. It, it is funny there were multiple articles that were just like, and Sony's going to expand its Spider Verse out for the first time, and it's like, really? Like, isn't this like the fourth or fifth time? That that feels like the people are trying to like uh, Men in Black flash our member, like get rid of our me- erase our they're memories. Fla- they're using a flashy thing on us. Yeah, they're trying to get us to forget about Morbius. I don't know. Um, anyway, so there's that, and then there's the Haunted Mansion movie that we didn't mention last time. Ooh. That is starring Rosario Dawson, and has a whole bunch of other famous people in it. But I still don't totally like. Even after the CinemaCon coverage, I'm just like, I totally, I don't really know what this movie is or what it's about. Like, yeah, it, it they, those the sort of quote that they had. It, I think this was the, the the deadline or was Hollywood Reporter description. They were like, it's very faithful to the ride. And it's like, what does that mean? Like, what does that mean? Yeah. It's just that's not the ride is not the ride, a movie. that's not a narrative. Like, what are you talking about? Um, and I say that as someone who really enjoys the ride and has been on it many, many, many <laughs> right. times. Um, I get. I guess maybe they mean it's like because the only thing I can think of is that it's sort of like clue the Tim Curry clue, mm. where it has kind of like a like a because because I feel like the ride in Disneyland has kind of like a wry wit to it a little bit of like oh mm. like we're kind of creepy but also being kind of witty and like and like kind of make like being playful about death right because it's like the famous. Mm-hmm. I guess spoilers for the Disneyland ride, Haunted Mansion. Um, when you go down the elevator, right, the famous thing that people, that like lots of fan art is based on now and is like very popular. People cosplay as the ballerina on the tightrope, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I feel like the pictures that stretch out to reveal how people died, <laughs> maybe that's the only thing I can point to where I'm like, I guess they could base the tone of a movie on that. But I, but in terms of plot, I, I could not tell yeah. you. Because the ride doesn't really have a story to it. It's just like you're trapped in this haunted mansion and then you go from room to room and there are different creepy things yeah. in them. So I don't I don't know how you make the plot of a movie out of that. I don't know. But Jamie Lee Curtis is the is the fortune teller woman whose head's in a crystal ball. Oh, really? So, oh, there's okay. that. Maybe I'm maybe I'm interested in this now. The uh, I, her name is <gasps> this is shameful that I can't remember this right now. The woman from like the Disney staff, like, the crystal ball yeah. woman. She's got a name. And all the all the Disney Instagram accounts that I follow are going to be really upset right now <laughs> if they hear this, because um, I can't remember her name. That's terrible. Uh, Hold please, it's um, Madame Leota. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. Yeah, Leota. Leota. <laughs> I mean, the cast, is, the the character list is great. It's paranormal tour guide, a psychic, a priest, a historian. Those are... This sounds like Clue. I mean, I stand by my earlier statement. You're not wrong, and like that makes me, that makes me a lot more interested. I mean, this cast is incredible. Lakeith yeah. Stanfield is the paranormal tour guide. Tiffany Haddish is a psychic. Owen Wilson, a priest. Dane DeVito, a historian. Rosario Dawson is Gabby. Jamie Lee Curtis is Madame Leota. Jared Leto as the Hatbox Ghost. Dan Levy, uh, Hassan Minaj, Winona Ryder in undisclosed roles. That's a collection oh, wow. of amazing people and also Jared Leto. Okay, I'm doubling down on my clue prediction now. I feel like that's 
there this is going to be a successor to that movie. that comparison has made me a thousand times more interested than this which you know it was a very small fraction to begin with so it hasn't really you know the that a thousand doesn't move it that far but it's i'm now i'm going to pay attention at least because if clue pans out that's a great that, that that's the call of all calls yeah. that would be great i would love that i managed to talk myself because i was like because there there was a previous adaptation of this is not the first time if you're listening to this and you're like what are they talking about this is actually not the first time they've tried to make a haunted yeah. mansion movie there was a really bad one with eddie murphy i believe yes. in the night is the night i think it was the early 2000s but yes okay yeah it was they were trying to cat they, they were trying to ride the coattails of pirates of the Caribbean. yes I, believe, I think that's right they were like oh we can make rides into movies now great uh and it, and then jungle yeah jungle cruise is another one which was like okay it was fine mm. um and and if it if it made Emily Blunt and The Rock best friends, which it seems to have, like that's great. Let's <laughs> then it was worth it. But yeah, anyway. Um, so I guess I guess I'm more excited about that. I talked myself into good that. Good job. One. Um, the other one I'll say is I think I only want to name two more. Wicked, the adaptation of the Broadway musical by John Chu, I believe his name mm-hmm. is. He was the director behind Crazy Rich Asians and In the Heights, which we mentioned earlier in a very different context <laughs> and uh the big thing that people seem to be talking about is that it looks really great that the practical effects apparently there was a story i read that was like he planted a huge field of tulips just for this one scene or something like that so people are generally up on that one whereas maybe they weren't before. yeah i mean i'll be honest i didn't even remember that movie was coming out like we did a lot of research uh for our last episode and i didn't think wicked was coming out this year so yeah. i think even the fact that they were like and part one is coming out in november it's like oh um the one thing that the, you know every everything that you just said is all i saw sort of in terms of summaries of this i feel like i've heard i'm not a musical person i don't know the musical i respect the concept of uh of wicked uh i'm so i'm, I'm intrigued uh as a sort of way of twisting around um, the Wizard of Oz. I feel like the people that I've seen online, and this is anonymous internet people, so I don't know, whatever. Uh, people I've seen online who have talked about this are like, don't unanimously don't think it's a good idea that this is going to be in two parts. That like, it's it would be a very, lo- it would be a long movie if they tried to do all of it in one. But that like, the, even the people who like it are like, it probably would be better if they just cut it down a little and tightened it up mm-hmm. and made it like a two and a half hour full experience. Uh, and I, you know, do not remember exactly why they said that, but that like, it's not going to like the, the act break is not really a good time to wait two years to find out what happens. And I think that maybe it was more of, it will be a problem for part two because the second act is maybe more complicated and, and makes things a little more difficult. But um, that was, you know, that's an interesting sort of thing, I guess, to think about, especially um, at least they're being clear, I guess, that it's Wicked Part One. But, that, you know, there, there were the people that were just like saw yeah. Dune and were like, what's happening? Um, this just ended <laughs> that it may be a sort of similar sensation. Yeah, having have because I have seen the, the musical. It's been a while, but I believe the so. So if you don't know, the I can't believe we're still talking about this movie, uh, <laughs> but we're doing it. Um <laughs> the um because i I think this is like the third time i'm like okay we're gonna wrap up and then and then we find <laughs> this is gonna be the short episode again yeah it was it was and now that's out the window uh so the the plot of this movie is or the musical is at least it's the wizard of oz but it's told through the perspective of the wicked witch of the west and glenda or glint sorry glinda the good witch 
and they the, and it's sort of like the first half of the musical before the intermission is sort of like their childhood or adolescence and then and then the second half there's a time jump i believe afterwards mm. so like so I I can see why they would think it would make sense to split it into two movies, mm-hmm. but I would agree that it does not need to be two movies. Like I I think it's probably going to end up feeling like they're stretching it a little thin if they make two movies. Right. Like I wonder. Like it, that, that description of it makes me feel like the it movies is sort of a potential comp where they they did it in it chapter two. Uh, and not, I don't think necessarily because of that choice, but I feel like everyone was like the first it really good. It chapter two didn't work. Uh, and maybe, you know, that could be because it just doesn't have the story to, to support it as a standalone experience. Yeah. I, I just hope that they are able to bring in the, those guys who are fighting over like her sister was a witch and what was her sister, a princess. Are you going to look at me and tell me I'm wrong? This is a viral video. I, I, I hope that there's someone out there who knows it because I'm seeing in Jen's eyes. She has no idea what I'm talking about. Tell me I'm wrong. No. Tell me I'm wrong. Um, so Wicked was a movie that I didn't know existed. A movie I didn't believe existed, but apparently does, is a new Ghostbusters movie that's coming out in December that the only thing that happened at CinemaCon was Jason Redman being like, it's happening with like the people, some of the cast, like Paul Rudd and Carrie Coons. And they're like, we're doing it. It's coming out in December. It's going to be back in New York. And that's all anyone knows. And they just keep making I mean, this. you know, finally, the, 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 the they, will, they will match 20, they will, they will surpass 21st century Ghostbusters movies over 20th century ones. So good, good on them. Um, and the only other thing I'll bring up, even though there are a few other things sort of scattered on our list to discuss, um, because it got a little bit of short shrift last time, it'll get a little bit of short shrift again here. Um, but there was some talk about Asteroid City. I don't think anything was shown. There was just sort of a, it's premiering at can. So check that out. <laughs> but the guy, again, the sort of um, uh, a person from the studio who was talking about it, um, this sort of speaks to maybe to close this off about like who was doing the speaking and who was out in the crowd, what they were thinking of. Um, but they described Wes Anderson movies as the Marvel of specialty movies. Um, which is a fascinating attempt to make a just a description of something. Um, and I, I, you know, assume that he mostly meant financially that like, these are successful movies for you in, in this business. So like you can count on them to have like a consistent quality and a consistent return. Um, but what a weird thing to say. Um, it's just, yeah, I was gonna say I can't even really tell you what I think that means. Like that's that's the closest I could figure out was that it's just sort of like it's you know you know there's gonna be a certain like quality level and a certain st- you know the the st- how style will be there and I, specialty movies just sounds to me like a industry term that is like movies that won't make you a lot of money in a movie theater um, as opposed to like right or just have more. Right, or just have a more niche audience, yeah. but they're a reliable audience, so it's like it's a sure bet. That kind of makes sense. Yeah, sure. But yeah, I've never heard that phrase specialty movie well, before. That's really well, cool. if you if you want to know what, what they are, they're Wes Anderson movies in in the Wes Anderson's the Marvel version of them. Apparently, according to some guy. But that movie looks fun, so I'm excited. I think Yeah, no, no. And, and yes, and we, we don't mean to downplay Asteroid City. It's just that, you know, Greg 
is so excited and so into Wes Anderson movies that I, I think I always feel like I'm stepping on his 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 turf when I'm talking about Wes Anderson. But yeah, I'm very I'm still was excited, still a bit excited about this movie coming out. If we do an episode after the movies Eric can and it's before Asteroid City comes out, I think if he isn't with us you need to just have him record a, like a, a drop that can just go in to be like just take take a, a tight five to talk about asteroid city and why you're excited about it yes hype it up for everybody um all right so i think i'll i'll end us on a kind of gloating from last episode so there was a movie that i talked about at length that like no one really knew about or at least i didn't know about and i think you didn't know about um and I actually heard from other people because I think Greg actually had texted me after he listened to our last episode and said, what is this movie, this Gareth Edwards movie that you're talking about? And he was very excited. So um, I, I will say that I was because of how unknown this movie was to me, I assumed that it was like way farther out. But the Gareth Edwards movie, that's the sci fi uh, AI post-apocalyptic movie i think is the tagline now um it has changed its title so last last episode i called it true love because at the time that was what the title working title of the movie is it has since been unveiled as the creator which considering the premise because it's about ai and humanity humans versus robots seems more appropriate and and more helpful in terms of guiding us into what the movie is about i think it actually got moved when they announced it they moved it from october 6th to september 29th which is i saw was partly because they were like we want to put this on imax screens and october 6th is when killing of a flower moon comes out and then something else that's big is going to be out like soon after that like i think you know a franchise movie um so they want at least a week on on imax screens but you know, vote of confidence that they want the big screens and they, they're, they're, they're going to release it a little bit earlier um, than expected and uh, agreed that you're right. I mean, it's, it felt like just sort of a vague concept, but now it's pretty imminent. And I think, yeah, they shared more, a little bit more about the plot. It's like, there's a, a child who is at least part AI. It's unclear. And that um, John David Washington's character who's human is trying to protect them from being hunted down. I think that I believe that is my understanding currently of the plot of this movie. So yeah, it sounds, it sounds great. And yeah, I feel vindicated for digging that up out of the internet last, last time. Yeah. I think, I mean, you should be, that was, that was a great call and it's, it, it, it seems tracking to be a good payoff for you. So I think we, we were actually way more <laughs> thorough and comprehensive about this than I thought we would be. And I think probably that you thought we would be based on our conversation before we hopped on Mike. But I think if you came here for more movie hype, we delivered. So I think I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap wrap things up. PT, where can folks find you? I know you're a moving target on the internet, but where could they potentially? For, try to for find the you? most part, I would say look on Instagram or Letterbox. Uh, PT McDiff, PT MC, and IFF uh, are the best ways to try to try to find me. Nice, and you can find me at Subchakchai S O P C H O C K C H A I on instagram and actually yeah since we're talking so much about movies i always forget about letterboxd i'm qui-gon jen on letterboxd if you'd like to find me there all right thanks pt this was really fun i can't believe we hyped things even more but we did did. it would be fun to actually see movies instead of just talking about yes let's try to do that for next time thanks jen
Thank you for listening. You can follow The Long Take on Substack at thelongtake.substack.com. Subscribe for free to receive reviews of films with Oscar buzz, as well as new films and series from pop franchises like Star Wars and Marvel.